Welcome to your Taiwan Brief, a deep dive in issues impacting Taiwan. I'm Donovan Smith here in Taichung, Taiwan. All right, last show we examined the KMT candidates. And in this show, we'll take a look at the state of the race, some intriguing hints of change in discourse and tone, what the polling tells us, who has endorsed whom, and what might be key to winning this thing and who probably has the best chance of pulling it off. Now, like the last show, it's been rewritten more than once and even re-recorded after something struck me and kept me awake late at night that I missed the first time around. By the way, I'll also be answering a patron's question at the end of the show. To actually slow the decline or even grow support, the KMT will have to undergo fundamental reforms if they want to remain a powerhouse on the national level, though there is little sign of them losing steam at the county and city level where local issues are more relevant to voters. They will have to jettison the 1992 consensus, tackle the entire One China ideology, and create a new vision forward for the party that is Taiwan-centric. Now, there's no way around this. The public has decisively turned against the party's stances on these issues. And as went into the last show, the candidates are campaigning mostly if it were 2008 all over again. At first blush, there's not much daylight between the four candidates and the stances of Ma Ying-jeou during his two terms. Eric Zhu or Zhu Liluan even did a listening tour just like Ma Ying-jeou. There are, however, some intriguing changes in discourse and tone that caught my attention. But more on that later in the show. Now, reform, if executed well, could be the pivot the party needs to avoid a future as merely a topic of nostalgia in old folks' homes. They'd lose some of their deep blue followers, but the potential growth would likely outnumber the losses and open the door to younger followers they have almost entirely lost currently. But that will be tough to pull off. The party recently has been very successfully resisting reform. Johnny Chiang has already run into this, Jiang Jitsen, being stymied in his most important attempt at reform, dumping the 92 consensus. The KMT is an old institution with powerful conservative institutional impediments to change like the veterans grouping the Huang Fuxing. But he also had to give up not only because of them, but also opposition from the party elites, best represented by people like Ma Ying-jeou himself. And the party as I'm sorry, that and that the party has become deeper blue, older and more conservative as it continues to lose support among the public at large, and youth have almost totally abandoned the party. An internal poll showed that over 80% of members supported the 92 consensus, and knowing he was going to lose badly, finally Jiang pulled it from the agenda just prior to last September's party congress. He knew the loss would have been humiliating and undermined any hope he could get anything at all done. And that's not all up against a prospective reformer. The party is broke and living off of debt. Once the Transitional Justice Commission froze the party's ill-gotten assets, the party was left with a huge problem. Having once been billed as the richest party on the planet by the press due to their largely unfettered seizure of assets during the martial law era, they now have to pay their bills like a normal party. 
Like the DPP, they get state subsidies, collect party dues, and donations from supporters. They also have a respectable income. However, when they never had to worry about cash, the KMT used to use party positions for patronage and as rewards for loyal followers. The party has attempted to deal with this by letting a lot of people go, but they're still stuck with paying those people severance and, even more catastrophically, their pensions. There's no quick fix for that, no matter what they do, unless they come up with a massively successful way of making money no party has yet thought of. Perhaps we'll be seeing a Sun Yat-sen-themed cryptocurrency in the future. Since a significant new source of revenue seems unlikely, they are likely to remain living off of debt for the foreseeable future. So, not only will the incoming chair have to figure out how to make the party electable again, but will also have to fend off financial collapse, which of course may force unpopular decisions. In short, the deck is stacked against any potential reformer. So, is it impossible the party will be reformed and become electable again? No. The party has undergone radical transformations in the past. Is it likely they will be able to reform enough to regain the trust of the public? Well, with the platforms that the candidates have pitched so far, definitely not. However, those intriguing changes in tone and discourse I mentioned on one issue hint at both shifts inside the party and where they may move the ball forward in future. In the Chen Shui-bian era, the KMT created the current version of the party's ideology, culminating in the Ma Ying-jeou presidency. The central points publicly were that the KMT could be trusted to govern responsibly, were economically responsible, could defend the... ROC from Taiwan independence advocates. Now, those three being holdover talking points from the past, but also, and this was new, would build prosperity by opening economically to the People's Republic. Now, the crux of this was the 1992 consensus, which posited that during KMT CCP talks in 1992, they reached a consensus of some sort. Now, that's technically, that's not technically true, other than they agreed to talk, and Su Chi admitted making it up and presenting it as something more tangible in the 1999-2000 period. The KMT pitched this as one China, both sides with its own interpretation. Now, K Beijing did bite and agreed to talks with then-KMT Chair Lian Zhan in 2005 on a CCP-KMT basis. But they only ever acknowledged the one China part, which, of course, meant themselves. With China economically booming at the time and restrictions on movement and trade hampering Taiwanese directly benefiting from that boom, they were able to make a, a case compelling to the Taiwanese public. And Ma Ying-jeou won easily in 2008 and was reelected in 2012. Plenty of lucrative business opportunities did in fact appear, but heavily weighted toward KMT politicians and political allies, not Taiwanese in general. Worse, it became clearer and clearer that even when non-KMT affiliated, or even in some cases KMT affiliated, Taiwanese business people did get opportunities. They were often temporary in nature, 
allowing their Chinese counterparts to steal their technology or let them develop a market for them to then take over. Or else, they often would use them as political pawns to forward Beijing's agenda on Taiwan. Meanwhile, under Ma, who by all accounts did hope for an eventual, if not immediate, unification of Taiwan and China, worked to open Taiwan's economy and cultural spaces to Chinese to ease the path long term. By 2014, this had all become painfully obvious, most visibly kicking off with these massive sunflower protests, and the backlash began that continues to this day. Self-identification as Taiwanese continued to grow strongly in parallel with distrust of China. In the 2016 national elections, the DPP won in a landslide, winning the presidency and taking the legislature for the first time. In the meantime, Xi Jinping's overt tying of the 92 consensus to the one country, two systems formula used in Hong Kong, while simultaneously violently crushing Hong Kong's freedom, led to widespread public distrust of the 92 consensus. The post-2000 KMT ideology that propelled Ma into two terms in power remains largely in place in the KMT, and listening to and watching the messaging of the candidates shows they are largely hewing to that. But there are some changes. Some are obvious and predictable because they're based on current issues. The candidates have been bashing the KMT on current issues like ractopork, which Ma actually supported. But these are not fundamental ideological changes. The emphasis on recruiting youth has been around since just after the Sunflower Movement, so isn't particularly new, and calls for reform have happened off and on for years. But are there any substantive changes? For the most part, no. But there are some shifts that hint where the party may be tentatively moving into a new era. Right now, the four chair candidates are pitching the party faithful, so they will be concentrating their messages on that audience only, not the general public. This means they will be generally conservative and not rock the boat because the party's ideology of the past 20 years is now orthodoxy. And sure enough, they didn't for the most part and are sticking to the 92 consensus. But what has changed is interesting. To illustrate this, I'm focusing mostly on Zhang Yijiang, Zhang Jitsan, and especially Eric Zhu, or Zhu Juliluan, because he is a very seasoned politician who tends to take stances that he thinks will be politically advantageous. I'll admit I have no idea whether Jews change in tone and discourse are personally genuine or not, or if he has any intention of expanding on it, but he has changed some significant things. Now, both Zhu and Jiang have been spending a lot of time with the KMT party membership recently, so any changes they make suggest they both think there is, a, there is sufficient push within the party to make these changes acceptable to enough of the members that any potential risks are worth taking. And interestingly, both Jiang and Zhu have been saying basically the same things, which indicates they're both getting the same message from many of the party faithful. This means under the circumstances, they are taking steps that may be significantly amplified if they go into a general election with the populace at large. So consider these potential baby steps to a possible shift going forward. Note, 
one thing they have dropped almost entirely from their platforms that survived into the 2020 presidential election is there's no longer any hope on relations with China. There's no longer much talk on prosperity and economic growth and all the opportunities that would arise with engaging with China or even much positive at all on the relationship with China. That's a big shift. Then consider this. All the candidates have been talking up protecting the ROC in a big way. Now, that by itself isn't new, but it now is clearly taken on a double meaning. Previously, this meant protecting the ROC internally from those infernal Taiwanese independence types. And I'm sure they still mean that. But now it appears to also mean protecting the ROC from the PRC as well. Note that Eric Jew specifically called for more cultural exchanges and specifically talked of depoliticizing the cross-strait relationship. Both Jew and Jiang have both, especially in the last few days, been trying to out do each other in emphasizing their determination to maintain the status quo, both openly pointing out this is where the majority of the public stands on the issue. And also consider they're both at pains to point out that their calls for dialogue with Beijing are about reducing tensions and building peace, not furthering economic or political ties. Jiani Jiang has gone even further, proposing a grand multi-party conference to determine the path forward. In short, he's promising to bring in the DPP and other parties to chart a unified position toward Beijing. Now, interestingly, there's actually some precedent for this on domestic politics in the past on, on constitutional and electoral reforms. Now, in short, they are both taking a defensive position regarding Taiwan and no longer preaching growing ties with China. Clearly, even much of the KMT base is now unnerved by China's behavior. Otherwise, these candidates wouldn't be pitching them this way. Now, how far along this path they will go in future, how much opposition in the party leadership and rank and file, file there will be, and whether it leads eventually to a full-on new era in KMT politics or it remains a mere shift in tone remains to be seen. But it's definitely worth paying close attention to. Something is afoot. We just don't know how extensive it's going to become. I'll likely be returning to this issue after the election and the new chair starts charting his path forward. Regardless of which path they take, it's going to be fascinating to watch. And oh my, what a colorful cast of characters. So, moving on to who is going to win this. The polling I've seen on this has been all over the place. Most of the polls have been iffy for one reason or another. Not all of them focus on just the KMT membership, and which is what really matters, as only they can vote. Obviously, the general public is of academic interest in this particular election. In general, they point to Eric Chu winning. 
But three inherently dodgy blue camp online polls all showed Jiang Yazhong ahead by a huge margin. It's also worth noting that clearly Ju and his camp are taking Johnny Jiang very seriously. If they were completely confident, they wouldn't bother taking so many pot shots at him and would ignore him like they do the two other candidates. Plus, no polling I've seen has given any indication of how enthusiastic the KMT membership is to turn out and vote. Zhang Yajong's shockingly high results in those online polls could indicate he's got an enthusiastic core base of support from Deep Blues, including possibly some of Han Guoyu or Zhao Shaokang's supporters. So voter turnout and enthusiasm could play a big role here. And Zhang could pull votes away from the other candidates, probably more from Ju's side. Another factor that may, may play a role, or not, is endorsements. There haven't been many so far with Jason Hu's endorsement of Johnny Jiang, about the highest profile so far with Sean Lien's endorsement of Eric Ju, about the only other high profile one. Who will Hang Guoyu direct his famously enthusiastic supporter fan base to back? How about Zhao Shaokang's outside, outsized, I, I'm sorry, media voice? Will new Taipei mayor Ho Yui break his standard policy of not getting involved and lend his huge popularity to someone? How about Taichung mayor Lu Xiaoyan, who is in a bit of a pickle on who to support? Jiang served as her campaign manager, and Zhu has supported her in getting people for administration. And Jiang Wanan, the grandchild of Zheng Jingguo, does he throw his support behind the candidates who praise his grandfather like Zhu or Zhang, or keep to his younger reformist in image and support Jiang? Or what about the elephant in the room? And it's very obvious both Jiang and Zhu are courting him, Mind Zhou. Though I suspect Eric Zhu has the largest chance to win, it's still murky and wide open enough. It's not a sure bet. Judging by all the talk of attracting young voters in reform, the party is well aware it has a huge problem. But when it comes to actual talk of reforms, the candidates haven't offered up much, sounding mostly like retreads of Ma's playbook, which has been roundly rejected at the polls twice now. Party members are almost entirely elderly, conservative, and self-selected deeper blues who often come across as thinking that the glory days of the KMT dominating elections will come back if only they can elect the right messenger to repackage their existing ideology in a way that will magically win back voters. Since all of the candidates at this point are pitching themselves as being mid to deep blue, it's clear all are gearing themselves to target these people. But who they will jump for is hard to say. Polling begins on September 25th, and unlike what a Taipei Times editorial suggested and sent me down a rabbit hole because it, it was totally not what I um, understood to be the case, it isn't based on opinion polling, as the TT editorial said. Like the KMT presidential primaries, it is rather, as I thought, party members physically going to the polls to vote, who will also be voting for party representatives. Turnout will be something to watch no matter who wins, as it will show something about where, if there is any at all, the enthusiasm the party's at. 
if the turnout is high, especially for one particular candidate, that will tell us where the party membership wants the party to go. I'm particularly curious to see how well Johnny Jiang and Zhang Yazhong do. Both are the closest to bellwether candidates for the lighter blues versus the deeper blues. If Eric Zhu does well, that suggests that a middle-of-the-blue path is where the party is at. All right, finally, a patron asked me a question on why I refer to what's happening in East Turkestan, a.k.a. Xinjiang, as a genocide. Now, it's a reasonable question, as colloquially, when we think of genocide, we think of mass-scale massacre. Now, the U.S. government's position is that it is a genocide. The parliaments of several countries, including, if I recall correctly, Canada, the U.K., and Australia, have voted on resolutions calling it just that. And human rights groups also use the term. The reason is they are using that defin- the reason they're using that definition is because it is what is provided by the United Nations to codify what qualifies as a genocide. You can Google UN definition of genocide and you'll see that what is happening in Xinjiang easily qualifies under their definition. All right, thanks for the question. All right, be sure to hit like and subscribe and all that fun stuff. Tell your friends and be sure to hit that bell if you're on YouTube. That's how you get notifications. And of course, if you could join us as a patron on patreon.com slash Taiwan report, that would be very much appreciated so I can keep producing these very nerdy deep dives. But also soon I'll be returning to more normal fare. All right, look forward to the next show and see you soon. This has been brought to you by the Taiwan Report. For more content like this, become our patron at report.tw. Hey, 